I love Ozark Christian College, you know, for a lot of reasons, not just the fact that I went there as a student and that's where I met my wife, but boy, I'm glad that our church gets to be a partner with Ozark Christian College. And if you don't know anything about that school, I'll be happy to tell you about it any time. Hey, if you've got your Bibles open to Genesis 27, Genesis 27 is where we are going to start today. And if you could have that ready, that'd be great. If this is your first time with us, man, welcome. We're so glad you're here. We're doing a series right now through the book of Genesis that we're just calling Origins. And, and uh, I'll tell you, I said this at the beginning of the series, those of you that are here, that knowing where you came from says so much about where you are going. And when it comes to your faith in Christ, that is so true. Knowing how all this started teaches something very significant about where we're going, where we're to be as a Christian today. So we learned all about creation and, and how God made mankind in his own image. And we saw how man fell to sin and, and they got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And then, and then God destroyed the whole earth because of their rebellion to him and with Noah. And then God repopulated the earth through Noah's son, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And they spread all over the world. Then we read about how God institutes his plan to redeem the world through Abraham. And there's this promise made to Abraham that he is gonna become a mighty nation. So many people are gonna come from him, you can't even, it's like the stars in the sky, you can't count them, the sand on the seashore. And then we saw Abraham had a son, Isaac, and now last week we learned about the twins, didn't we? We learned about Jacob and Esau, which represent now the third generation of the promise that was first given to Abraham, passed on to Isaac, and now it is to Jacob and Esau. I hope what is very clear in our study so far is that God is doing something very special through Abraham's family. Is that, is that very clear? That God's doing something that's gonna change the world through Abraham's family. But let me just say, here we are, 27, 28 chapters into the story of what God is doing with man and I'll just be honest with you. It doesn't seem like God's family wants to do anything big with God, does it? It seems like Abraham, like the father Abraham, the, the, the granddaddy of them all, God's friend, he has something special with God. But here we are now that Jacob and Esau, and it sure doesn't seem like they want to do anything special with God. It's kind of an interesting part of the story. We're going to get into it. But you have these two grandsons, Jacob and Esau. We started to learn about them last week. You have Esau, who is kind of a here and now, instant gratification kind of guy. You know, sell his birthright for a bowl of soup. That's, that's Esau. In fact, the New Testament calls Esau godless and uses him as an example of how not to be. So he certainly doesn't seem like Abraham, does he? There's not a chip off the old block at all. Then there's Jacob. Jacob was a swindler. He was a, a con artist. I mean, he conned his brother out of selling the birthright. He deceived his brother or his father into getting the blessing. So I look at God's family right now, 27, 28 chapters into the story. And let's just be honest, they're not looking too sharp at the moment. Can we all agree with that? Not looking too sharp. If we did not know the end of the story, then we might be tempted to say right now that, you know what, I think God's experiment with this family is not gonna work. It, it doesn't seem like they wanna go along with, with what God wants. It, you might even say, mankind is failing God all over again. But we do know the end of the story. We do know how this plays out. We do know what God is gonna do. And on that matter, aren't you glad that we get to read the rest of the story? We know that Jesus is gonna come through all this and we know ultimately Jesus is gonna come again and we get saved and spend eternity in heaven. Who's thankful today that you know how the story ends? And we have, we have the ending. 
And so we can live our lives today with the ending in mind. And, but if we didn't have the ending, we may just stop right here and go, nah, something's not working out just right. So we didn't get into this too much last week, but I wanna look at just real quickly this blessing. Remember, Jacob deceived his father and he received the older brother blessing. It was supposed to go to Esau. And this is what his dad said to him. Just listen, it's chapter 27, verse 29. This is what Isaac spoke over his son. He said, may nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. That is a pretty powerful blessing. What son would not want their father to say something like that over them? Jacob would indeed, his words, you will indeed carry on the promise this thing that, that God started with, with your grandfather, Abraham, and, and you're gonna lord over your, you're gonna be the leader of the family. This is quite a blessing. We, we've already seen that uh, these blessings given by fathers in the Old Testament turned out to be quite prophetic at times. They really did come true. And, and then he says something that's very reminiscent of what God said to Abraham way back in, in Genesis 12. Did you catch it? Remember God said to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. Isaac is saying the similar thing over his son, Jacob. Now Esau, he missed out on the blessing that he wanted. He missed out on the inheritance that he thought he should have gotten. And we saw that how last week, that's really a parallel example of what it's like when people today miss out on the father's blessing of eternal life. Esau serves as that example of how not to be. But what we didn't look at last week is that Isaac also had a blessing for his son Esau. Not the one he wanted, but Isaac did speak words over him. And these are these words, 39. His father Isaac answered him, your dwelling will be away from earth's riches, away from the dew of heaven above. In other words, this blessing is almost like, and if I wasn't clear before, you're out. I mean, that's kind of... It's not good news. He goes, you will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck, which is something down the road we'll get to soon. So Isaac tells his son, Esau, you will serve your brother. Now, whether Isaac made all, connected all the dots in this moment, but what he's actually doing is with this blessing to both of these boys, is that he's basically coming back in line with the prophecy that God told their mother, Rebecca. Do you remember when Rebecca was pregnant with the boys and she was like, something's happening. The Bible says they jostled in her womb and so she sought the Lord, like what's going on inside of me? And remember the Lord told her, two nations are growing in your womb. Um, one will be stronger than the other and the younger will oversee the, the, the older. We're gonna flip flop roles. The, the older is gonna serve the younger. So Isaac is really now with these blessings, whether he knew it or not at the time, is bringing back into order this prophecy that God had told Rebecca, their mother, all those years ago, that the older will serve the younger. Now, if you've already read ahead, and I hope you have read ahead, and let me just emphasize again that, that please be reading the book of Genesis. Many of you took me up on that challenge. You read the book of Genesis. Read it again. Read the chapters around where the sermon's gonna be. It's gonna really help you a lot with, with this series. But if you've read ahead, then you already know that this whole situation with, with the birthright and, and, and Jacob getting the, es the, the blessing that Esau thought he had and Rebecca's manipulation with her boys and you, you take all of that together, then you, you know already that uh, 
this whole situation has absolutely rocked this family. Absolutely, if you've read ahead, you know it. it's rocked their family. It's not a happy home. And Rebecca, the mom, she knows that her home is a very unhappy place right now. Fast forward to chapter 27, verse 41. We're just gonna push this narrative along. Here's what happens. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given to him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. So agree, that does not sound like a happy home, does it? He's gonna kill his brother. Esau did not get the blessing from his father, and, and so he decides when dad is gone, I'm gonna kill Jacob. Now, there's not a brother on the planet that hasn't looked at his younger or older brother and said, I'm going to kill you. I mean, there's, there's, there's not a brother alive that hasn't said that to his sibling. But he doesn't mean it. You know, Esau means it. He means it. Now, maybe he was thinking, listen, and again, we're reading between the lines. The Bible doesn't say this, but we're speculating here. Maybe he was thinking, if I can't have the blessing, nobody can have it. Or maybe he was thinking to himself, you know what? Jacob stole what's mine. I will take his life and take it back. If he could even do that, who knows? It's hard to say what was going through his mind, but what we do know is that he's got revenge on his mind. He's got anger flowing through his veins. That is not a good combination for anybody. And his conclusion is Jacob's got to die. Now, we don't really know how his mom found out about this, but somehow mother's intuition, something we don't know, she found out that Esau wanted to kill his brother. And so she goes right back into this, I gotta save Jacob's life. And she goes right back into, I gotta figure out a way, manipulate the situation to save his life. And, and, and we're learning some things about Rebecca that, that don't make her look really good, but she knows that the only way she can save her son is to get him away from Esau. But she can't just send him away. She doesn't have the authority in the home to just send one of the sons away. So she's got to convince Isaac to send Jacob away. And this is how she does it. She goes to Isaac and she starts to complain about Esau's wives. Okay, you might remember from last week, Esau married some local girls, some local pagan girls, and this really grieved their parents. And so she goes to Isaac, she goes, Isaac, I can't stand these women. All these women hanging, I don't know if that was her tone, this is my interpretation. She's like, Isaac, I can't stand these pagan women, always around this place, they're driving me nuts. Do something, and if we don't do something, here's what's gonna happen. Jacob will do the same thing that Esau did. He will marry some local girl. It's gonna wreck our family even further. Do you want that? Isaac, I don't want that. And, and so they're like, that's a good idea. Let's send him away. And so that's what they choose to do. Together, they decide, and, Jacob's, or, and, and Isaac says, Jacob, you are gonna go to your mother's family, which is a long way off, and you're gonna find a wife among her people and, and that's how we want it. And, and so you have the situation of manipulation with an end of like, save my son. And, and like I said, this family is not well. Now, if you jump up to chapter 28, verse eight, here's Esau's response to his father's decision to send his brother away. Esau then realized how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father. So it was like an epiphany. My parents really do hate my wives. And so this is what he did. 
So he went to Ishmael and married Mahalath, the sister of Nevoith, the daughter of Ishmael, son of Abraham, in addition to the wives he already had. Now, if you didn't follow all of that, you didn't catch the names, that's perfectly okay. Just know this, that Esau is getting back at his parents. That's what he's doing, that's it. He's angry with his parents and he realized something. The women I married really do bother my parents. So if Jacob is gonna go see my uncle Laban, then I'll just pay a visit to my uncle Ishmael. Now you remember Ishmael, this is the love child of Abraham and Hagar, and then they got sent away, and God said, I'll make a nation out of Ishmael too. So Esau's like, I'll just go to Ishmael, and I will pick the most ungodly, outside of the promised woman that I can find and marry her. And that's exactly what he did because I know it will tick my parents off and that sounds good to me. And so Esau does this in response. Now, there's a lot of things that we could say about the family dynamic of Abraham's family right now, but I'm just gonna just sum it up into this. And I think it's something that we would all kind of nod our heads and agree with, and it's this. If this entire family, I'm talking about Isaac and Rebecca, I'm talking about Jacob and Esau, if they would have just trusted in the word of God, they would have avoided all of this misery. You know that? If they would have just trusted the words that God had said to them, they could have avoided all of this mis mis misery. Now, let's look at it from Rebecca's point of view. This isn't all on Rebecca, and I'm not trying to pin all this on her, but just look at it from her point of view. She knew what? She knew that God had told her that the older brother would serve the younger brother. This was not a mystery. She knew that God was flipping the order around. She knew that God was up to something. Two nations were going inside. All she had to do was to take her hands off the wheel and say, God, I believe your words. You don't need my involvement. God, you do your thing. And it would have turned out differently. But what she do, she got into the middle of it and she's like, the ends justify the means and I'm gonna fix things because obviously God doesn't know what he's doing and he needs my help. And she got in there and mixed it up. And they're all involved with, there was lying, there was deception. A lot of the things that come in when we take matters in our own hands and we do things, it, it all messed up. And I sit back, if they would have just trusted what God said, they could have avoided a lot of pain and suffering in their life. And you know, the old saying goes, hindsight is 2020. Have you heard that? Hindsight's 2020. How many of us today could look back on our lives and say, if I would have just trusted God's word, I would have avoided some significant pain and suffering in my life. Or we might say it like this, God's ways are better than mine, and man, if I knew that back then like I know it today, how different things might be today. Every last one of us in this room can say that to some degree. If I'd have just believed God, if I'd have just taken God at face value, I could have avoided some things in my life. Every one of us fits into this category. But because Rebecca couldn't trust God, and Jacob right along with her, again, I'm not pinning all this on her, the consequences were very costly. Jacob goes away, and here's what it cost his mother. She wanted to save his life, but you know what her deception cost? Ever having a relationship with her son again. Jacob will leave for over 20 years and his mother will die and she will never see him and never talk to him again. Yeah, pretty costly for not trusting God's word. You know, Jacob's on his way to see his uncle Laban 
And, um, and the Bible gives us this really fascinating detail in chapter 28 as he's traveling. He's a few days into his journey and, and he lays down to sleep and, and he takes a rock and he puts it under his head, which sounds wonderful. And he, and he puts a rock under his head and he falls asleep. And, and the Lord visits him in a dream. This is what he sees. And if you read this, this is what you'll read. He sees the Lord up in heaven and ladder coming down to earth and angels going up and down the ladders. Now, that's a, sometimes this refers to Jacob's ladder. It's a very vivid, vivid dream. And in that dream, God will communicate to Jacob something very similar that he told his grandfather Abraham. He said, Jacob, I'm gonna give you all of this land and I'm gonna bless the whole world through you, your family. Very, very, just reminding him of this promise. And here's what I find fascinating. I mean, who would not want God to visit you in a dream like that with something so vivid? I mean, this dream is obviously communicating that God's saying, I am with you. I am involved in this world. I, 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 I've, I've got angels here. I, I, I'm not taking my eyes off anything. I'm involved. And Jacob wakes up. And if you look in verse 16 of chapter eight, he says this, when Jacob woke up from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. In other words, what Jacob's admitting is, I didn't know God was with me. Isn't that sad? I didn't know God was with me. He didn't know, I take Abraham, who is called God's friend. But now his grandson, Jacob, didn't even know that God was, was with him. This is, a, this is a big revelation to him. God is with me. You know what else it reveals to us? That you know what? Even though Jacob did not have his eye on God, God had his eye on Jacob. And friends, they're, they're, we should take from this that you know what? We can live parts of our life and not be thinking about God, but God's still thinking about you. He's never taken his eyes off any of us. Same thing with Jacob. I am here. I am involved whether you like it or not. And so Jacob became aware. Now, now what happens next even shows Jacob's ignorance even more of what God has done in his family. It says in verse 20, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. Anybody uncomfortable with this? Not only did Jacob not know that God was with him, but he seems oblivious to what God has done in his family. Now just think about it. Even if he knew, even could recall a few of the details, like his father's miraculous birth after all those years of waiting, and maybe that incredible moment on top of Mount Moriah when God replaced a, an animal to sacrifice instead of his father. If, if he would have known or recalled any of these details, he probably would have had a different response to God. You know, when God visited Abraham, Abraham would bow down and worship. God visits Jacob, and he's like, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. This is the deal. Interesting. Well, right now, this is not a, I mean, and Jacob is not walking with the Lord, but, but, uh, but something is happening here in this moment. He recognizes there's something special about this place, that God was with him. And really what's happening is God is planting a seed in Jacob's heart and mind that will not bloom for a lot of years. In fact, most of his life, that seed will sit dormant. And you might say, Jacob's kind of a late bloomer. I, I told you, you're not gonna like him very much right now. And I can't say you're gonna like him much by the time we're done here today. 
But is there any other late bloomers in this room? Anybody that came to the Lord much later in life? Anybody like Jacob who did your own thing and, and now something that was planted in you long ago is starting to sprout? And maybe you even being here today is that seed that maybe your great grandma planted in you all those years ago or that Sunday school teacher years and years ago or that vacation Bible school or that church camp or somebody in your life planted something down in you. You don't even know it. You're here today because it's broke some ground. It's starting to grow. It's Jacob. This is a seed planting mission by God and he'll water it through his life and it will grow later. It's actually quite fascinating. You know, if you're taking notes this morning, this might be a really good thing to remember or be aware of that. Being unaware of God is the foundational problem in life's journey. Being unaware of God is the foundational problem in life's journey. This is Jacob's biggest problem in his life right now is that he was unaware of God. And, and that being unaware or ignorant or whatever, it will wreak havoc in his life and his decisions. He's just unaware of God's presence in his life, unaware of what God is doing or the big picture of God's plan for his life. And honestly, if you think about it, this too is the foundational problem in our world today. People are unaware. People live their lives vastly unaware of what God is doing or his presence. He's like, well, how is that? Well, just look around. Look around at how people live. Look around at what's going on in the world. Look around at the violence and the upheaval and the uneasiness. Look around at all the crazy talk that we see around us. It is because we're living in a world that is vastly unaware of God. And you think about what is the purpose of the church? Well, the purpose of the church is to help people become aware. The Bible tells us how can they believe if they are unaware or they don't know or they have not heard and how are they gonna hear if somebody doesn't tell them? So you think about foundationally, what is the role of this place right here? It is to make Bella Vista aware that God is real, that God is present, that God so loved them that he gave his son to die on the cross for them. And if they would simply believe, they would avoid the punishment that's coming and have eternal life. We need to make them aware. Now that's another sermon for another day, but this is the foundational problem in our world. It's a foundational problem in, in Jacob's life. Well, fast forward a little bit. Jacob finishes his journey and he makes it to Laban's land. I mean, he moves into his territory and, and he comes across this well and, he, and the first thing he sees, you read the details, is this beautiful woman surrounded by sheep. Now, isn't that how it all, all love stories start like that? You're out in the field and a beautiful shepherd girl walks up with sheep and you start a conversation about water. That's, isn't that how your love story started? Well, he sees this woman named, named Rachel at the well and, and literally, it's like tractor beam. Um, uh, me and you, he's physically attracted to her. He's head over heels for her and, and, and he's like, you're the one, all right? You are the one. And then he finds out that she's a relative of his uncle Laban. And so he's like, even better, I found the right people and you're part of the right people. And, and finds out later, as he learns a little bit more about this family, is that not only is she a relative, she is his uncle Laban's daughter. Now, if you're doing the math, that makes Rachel Jacob's cousin. Anybody hear any dueling banjos in the background? <laughs> ding, 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 ding. 
And who said people from Arkansas can't relate to the Bible? All right? <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. I'm joking. I'm joking. I mean, none of us are from here. It still works. Don't worry about it. No. I'm totally joking. All of you that were born and raised here, I'm, I'm just joking. Send your emails to Pastor Dave. He handles that kind of stuff. I'm just, I'm teasing. So here he, he falls head over heels for his cousin. Let me just say this. Um, falling head over heels for your cousin isn't quite the same cultural feeling about it then as it is today. What, what he's after is the right family, the right people. You and I are kind of like, eh. But, um, but this, it was kind of different back then, just to be honest with you. It wasn't so strange. So then if you look in verse 16, fast forward just a little bit, chapter 29, verse 16. Now Laban, this is, you know, this is his uncle, this is Rachel's dad. Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful and Jacob was in love with Rachel. What does it mean? What does the Bible mean when it says she had weak eyes? Does that mean that Rachel had 20-20 vision and, and Leah needed glasses? Is that what that means? Probably not. What it most likely means and what fits the context is that Rachel was hot and Leah not so much. That's, <laughs> that's how we understand this. And the... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. And the context of verse 17 basically alludes to this. So what's it say in verse 17? Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. So you have two sisters, you know, one very pretty, one not so much. And Jacob is completely taken by, by Rachel. He's love at first sight. And after only knowing her for one month, he's like, you're the one. I, I, what I gotta do to lock you up forever, you are the one. And I'm not gonna ask anybody to get married faster than a month in here, maybe, but it's like, you are the one. That is fast, even in this time frame. So he goes to her dad, and he's like, let's work out a deal. Now jump down to verse 18. So, so Jacob was in love with Rachel, and this is what he said, and it's probably saying it to her dad. I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Now, this is something that every one of us is gonna have a little hard time relating to because this is not how the dating scene happens in today's world. I mean, you, you, like back then, parents would kind of figure this out for their children and they're like, oh, you wanna be married to her? This is a good match. What are you gonna pay for it? You know, and it was, and, and this was weird to us, but it was not weird back then. And this is how you paid for your bride. You either paid in money or you paid in livestock or you paid in free labor, all right? So I'm gonna help all of you guys. All of you husbands, if you happen to be sitting next to your wife, I want you to take a minute. I want you to lean over and whisper in her ear. And I just want you to say this, honey, I would do seven years of hard labor for you, all right? Just, I'm helping you guys out. In case you've forgotten, it is Valentine's Day coming up real soon. You're planting seeds for the 14th. Now, wives, don't call your husband liars right now. It's like, you liar. Just let him know. Because that's what Jacob is doing. Now, um, even though this is really normal behavior for back then, um, I, I want you to know that uh, Jacob's not a good negotiator, but he's way overpaying for Rachel. I'm just gonna say this. Because if you understand a real bit of history, best I can discern, he's paying about four times more than what, what any other bride would, would cost. 
Who gives seven years of their life for a bride? And so basically, if you read between the lines, what Jacob is saying is, I am so in love with her. I'll do anything that it takes to have her. How about seven years? And Laban's like, this guy's a sucker. Seven years? Okay, sounds good to me. Deal. Seven years for, for Rachel. Can I tell you something that's not on Jacob's mind when he makes this deal? What's not on his mind is God. God's not on his mind. Um, and God should be on his mind for all the reasons we've already learned about in this series. And even with the fact that Jacob became very aware of God's presence in this place, and then he makes this weird conditional vow that God never agreed to, but this is what he tried to do to God. And so he's aware of God's presence, but it's pretty obvious God is not first place in his life. He's aware of God, but God is not first. If you're still taking notes, this might be something to kind of lock away and remember. God not being first is the primary problem in any relationship. So Jacob's going, God's not first, but now I want to get married. He's, he's approaching this relationship wrong. And you know, I've been in ministry a long time, and, and I can tell you that it's true. God not being first is the primary problem in any relationship. What's worse is that when God's not first, you usually end up willing to give up more than what you should. I see it all the time. This isn't a marriage and dating series at all, but I see it all the time. I see, see a young couple get together God's not first. And they're willing to give a whole lot more than they should. They're willing to give a whole lot more physically than they should. When God's not first, they're willing to give a whole lot more emotionally than they should. And what happens is it ends up costing them more than they ever dreamed. So Jacob's coming into this relationship all wrong. And, and, and I see people do it all the time. Give a whole lot more than it should. So look at verse 20. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seem like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to lie with her. That's forward. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. And when the evening came, he took his daughter Leah, remember the one with weak eyes, and gave her to Jacob, and Jacob lay with her. And we're like, what? what? Some of you are reading this for the very first time, and you're like, what just happened? Seven years, and there was a little switcheroo on the wedding night? And, and the question that, that comes to my mind, and maybe it's the same question that comes to your mind, you're too uncomfortable to ask it, how does that happen? I mean, think about it. How does this happen? I've spent a long time trying to think through. How does this, how do you pull off that switch in the middle of the night? And, and here's, here's my conclusion. This is just what I can come up with through my study. Weddings back then were different than weddings today. If you invite somebody to your wedding today, you're like, hey, it's on Saturday, show up at two, wedding will be over by 2.45, we're gonna have a reception, cut some cake, drink some punch, and off we go. That's a wedding today. Weddings back then were not like that. Weddings back then were usually a seven-day affair, okay? And you'd invite all your friends and all your family, they stop everything they're doing, and they party 
for seven days. And at the end of the celebration, the end of the festival, the, the whole thing ends um, with that special night when that relationship is consummated and then they're married. That's how it went down. So I'm gonna go out on a limb here and it's not really a, a long limb. I'm gonna say at this seven day festival, God's not first and nobody's thinking about God, I'm just gonna assume there was plenty of alcohol, all right? Now that's hard for us to fathom, you know, going to a wedding and having an open bar and having a little too much and doing something crazy. We can't even fathom that today. Because <laughs> that never happens. So I'm going to assume that, that Jacob is fully celebrating for seven days. And I'm gonna make an assumption that he's somewhat inebriated on the special night. And maybe Laban is taking advantage of this moment. And, and so he takes Leah and um, it's hard to know where she, you know, was she a willing participant in this, whatever. But he dresses her in the traditional wedding night garment, which is a head to toe clothing. And then, and then they put the veil over her. Which, so Jacob does, can't even see her face. And that's the whole idea. You, you don't see her uh, until that, that night and, and, and not to be crass or anything, but I'm assuming the lights were out. And, and, and then they're married. The, the, they consummate the relationship. There's no one doing it. That's how I think it happened. So look at verse 25. When morning came, now that is a loaded verse. <laughs> when morning came, there was Leah. And so Jacob said to Laban, notice he doesn't even have to wonder who's responsible for this. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Because there's no one doing this, Okay. And, and, and he goes, I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? And Laban replied, it's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. And Jacob's like, you couldn't have thought to mention that seven years ago when we made this deal. So this is what Laban said. Finish this daughter's bridal week and then we will give you the younger one also. In return for another seven years of work, and Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. And let's just point out the obvious, this is a messed up deal. But husbands, I'm gonna help you out again. I want you to lean over to your wife, and I want you to whisper in her ear right now, honey, I'd do 14 years of hard labor for you and mean it. It's Valentine's Day, I'm just telling you. Trust me, I'm Dr. Love. And we're not even gonna get into this whole concept of sister wives because I'm just gonna give you a blanket statement here. Never once in the Bible anywhere are you gonna find that ever God approved of any of this kind of behavior. God's intention has always been very simple, very clear, one man, one woman, holy matrimony for life. So this is all out. This is really just another indication of just how far Jacob and Laban and everybody, they're not even thinking about, about the Lord, which brings me to this thought, and I wanna share it with you. When God's not first, you're gonna always end up dissatisfied with things. It's true. It doesn't matter what it is. When God's not first, you're always gonna end up eventually dissatisfied. 
I don't know about you, but I don't feel sorry for Jacob. Do you feel sorry for Jacob? I don't. I kind of have a little bit of what goes around comes around thought right now. Here you have, um, he blackmailed his brother, remember? And he deceived his father, tricked him. And now the deceiver has been deceived. He tricked his father and now his father-in-law has tricked him. I don't feel sorry for him. What goes around comes around. I can tell you that Jacob's problems stem from God not being first in his life, not trusting in God's words. And, and, and I wanna remind you at this point that Jacob's star, story is far from over. But we don't like him very much. And we don't feel sorry for him at all. But I want you to know this little bit of hope as you continue to read, because not all hope is lost. If you were to look in the New Testament, you're gonna to come to the book of Hebrews and you're gonna to come to the 11th chapter. It's a very famous chapter in the New Testament and we call it the Hall of Fame of Faith. I, I reference it a lot of times. And basically it's a big long list of all the greatest heroes of the Old Testament. And guess whose name you find in that list? Jacob. And we're going, how in the world did Jacob make the list? Well, it's none of his behavior right now that put him on the list. What put him on the list is what happened when he was old. Let me read it for you. Chapter 11, verse 21 of Hebrews says, by faith, Jacob. And now that's a totally different description of who we're reading about. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he learned, leaned on top of his staff. We're not there yet in the story. But the reason I point it out to you right now is how Jacob is right now is not how Jacob will be in the end. And that says a whole lot to me. And it should say a whole lot to you. It should communicate to us something very strong about the Lord. How you start the race is not nearly as important as how you finish the race. And some of you right now are thinking of people in your life, you're like, I know a Jacob. <laughs> I know somebody in my family or I know a friend. They are not thinking, God's not first. God is the farthest thing from their mind. They think God's some kind of Santa Claus or deal-making God or they, they're doing their own thing and, and, and I know a Jacob or two. I wanna give you a little hope. If that Jacob is your son, if, or daughter, if that Jacob is your best friend, if that Jacob is a parent, I want you to know something. This Jacob that we're learning about, by the time he's old, seems to be all right. No one's ever too far from God. No one's ever too far gone. No one's too big of a sinner that God can't redeem. Where you are in life right now may not disqualify you from being in God's faithful hall of fame one day. But I'll tell you, if God's not first, you'll be most dissatisfied in the end. You know, but when you do put God first, when God does become first in your life, God blesses. And I'll tell you, that's what we see in Jacob. I, I just don't want you to lose all hope yet if you haven't read ahead. When God does become first place in your life, God tends to bless that pretty solidly. Let me pray for you, dear Lord. We just give you thanks and praise always for your holy word, how it teaches and guides us. And Lord, my prayer over us today would simply be 
to bring to our, our sight, Lord, to bring to our mentality, to bring to our attention whether or not you are number one in our life. Lord, make us aware if we have pushed you off into the background. Make us aware, Lord, if maybe we're like Jacob in the sense of we are aware of you, but you are not number one. Lord, I pray you bring that to our attention so that we can make a change, so that, Lord, we can repent because you're not number one right now, and we can start right now to move you back into prominence in our life where you should be. A place, Lord, where you'll wanna bless because we're looking to you. Lord, help us be open and honest with you. And Lord, maybe that prayer starts out like, Lord, my eyes have not been on you lately but I thank you, God, that your eyes are still on me. Lord, help me to bloom the way you want. So Lord, please forgive us of being all about ourselves in this life. And Lord, I pray you come to the top spot again and renew, Lord, a steadfast spirit in me. Lord, renew a sense of joy in my life and purpose. Renew, God, a sense of focus and energy that hasn't been there in a long time. So Lord, we repent and we ask for your forgiveness. And Lord, may you lead us from this point forward. Lord, I pray that over anyone. I pray, God, there's some real business with you being handled right now. Lord, most importantly, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We know how this story ends. And Lord, we know the New Testament teaches us not how you start the race, it's how you finish the race. You don't really care about where we've been. You care about where we're going. So Lord, help us to live like that. Help us see the world like that. In Jesus' name, amen.